This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Well, hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast, where we're bringing you stories of prominent Christians who've been able to find success by being authentic to their faith and true to their passions. This morning, we're going to have a chat with John Ford. John is a marketing, innovation, and brand expert. He's worked with some of the leading companies around the world, including Audi, American Express, Acor Hotels, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Woolworths. He's a renowned international speaker was listed in Ad News 40 Under 40 as a rising star in the realm of marketing. And currently, John is the CEO of The One Centre, situated in Sydney. John, thank you for giving us your time. We Absolute really appreciate pleasure. it. Thanks, Brendan. Uh, that description of a, a marketing innovation and brand mm. expert, it's not necessarily the sorts of things you see at a high school subject selection no, expo. It's cryptic. How, how do you end up in that sort of a space? What's the pathway, the trajectory from choosing subjects at school to ending up CEO of a a marketing branding expert? A very good question and one I'm constantly perplexed by myself. Mm. <laughs> um, shall I give you a bit of a background? I'd love to hear yeah, it. Okay. Yes, thank you. Cool. So um, I went to school in uh, Sydney, in Cremorne at Skeggs Redlands, which oh, is actually yeah, a great school. A good school. Yeah. Um, it only just become a co-ed school at that stage. So we were as my headmaster told me at our, one of our reunions not so long ago, we were the guinea pigs. Um, and I think we were actually the second year of boys mm. uh, or maybe potentially third, but we're also, according to him, the breakthrough year when they um, decided at a board level that the experiment had worked and it would effectively save the, save the school yeah. at the time. because it had decades of girls only up until that point, right? It did, and it did have a lot of financial problems as well. So I think they had decided to look at a different way of doing things mm. in order, which was then a different way of doing things in order to make it viable. And um, it worked. Um, so I was uh, at school and then I actually at school, I was um, passionate and I think quite good at, although I'm not entirely sure at drama. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I had focused my trajectory on being, uh, being an actor and then a director. Um, that said, when I left school, I tried for NIDA mm. um, in, uh, just after year 12, and um, which was quite a formidable dr- drama school at that time, and it still is, yes. but I didn't get in. I got very close to getting in, and they um, said, well, it's down to you and another person because we usually don't people take people who are 18. Right. And the other person's father was a very prominent playwright, um, and I, I didn't get the gig, and I thought, well, that's just wrong. You yeah. Know? Politics in play? Politics in play. But obviously as I've got further away from all of that, I've realised that the other guy was very talented and I've actually seen him in a lot of <laughs> shows and whatever. So it maybe was justified, maybe they deserved justified. a spot. <laughs> well, they, they told me come back next year and, of course, I thought that was a nice way of saying yeah. you're rejected, Yeah, which did teach me a lesson, you know, which is, you know, you get knocked back once. Mm. Just don't take that to heart. Mm, that's going. good. But it set me off in a very different direction um, and I ended up at 
doing uh, university and majoring in geography and French, um, which I had been good at geography at school. So mm. I just having not not getting my passion point with going to going to NIDA and doing drama. I decided just to do something which would be able to give me mm. a, a degree. So um, I completed that at the Sydney at Sydney University and actually studying French, which was completely left field, but Indeed. it was just an interest thing. I ended up going over to England where my parents were living at the time and then moved to France. Uh, and I didn't know anybody and um, I, I sort of fell on my feet there uh, and ended up um, meeting through my uh, landlord at the time, a lady that gave me a room in her house, a guy who ran a, um, he was a, a a buyer and seller of businesses from quite a wealthy French family. And he um, took a liking to me because I liked rugby and yeah. um, offered me a job in a company that he just bought. And he was actually had a seat on the French Stock Exchange, which mm. I thought was very exciting. It was like this James Bond type mm -hmm. character, literally owned an Aston Martin. No way. <laughs> used to drive me out to this um, business, which was information in the information technology, which was starting to take off at the time. So, um, I had that experience. I ended up coming back to Australia and then decided through that because he became this kind of role model for me of what success looked like um, going and trying to get into the banking industry and myself being a stockbroker. So um, Macquarie Bank uh, had a job out for a trainee, plan a trainee stockbroker mm. and uh, I applied for it and after oodles of tests um, got, got the gig. And uh, it was then, it was also known as the Millionaire's Factory then. Mm. So... I was quite excited and I sort of could project this stellar career in banking. And um, You were on the production line for the, the million dollars. Exactly, I, was, the other I was on the way. And my mm. girlfriend, of course, was delighted um, at the time uh, that, uh, that we, uh, we were going in that direction. But, um, but I hated it. It was a terrible, terrible uh, misfit for me mm. and a great organisation. And it ended up kind of getting out of there and uh, I met – a recruiter i had just had a sort of a feeling that i wouldn't i wouldn't mind trying to get into the advertising industry mm. did you know much about advertising just industry? not a lot mm. and i didn't know anything actually but i had a, a sense that that might be something to get into because it was more creative but it was still in business um so i had a actually a very good friend of mine's mother used to work at a recruitment agency where they had um uh that, that they used to recruit for the advertising industry i went and saw them Anyway, that didn't necessarily get me anywhere, but a job came up at DDB in the, what was then called the press checking department of the media department. <laughs> so in those Facts days- Facts checking. Yeah, well, press checking, literally, because a lot of print advertising, they'd do placements in newspapers, and the agency then had to get the newspapers, tear, tear out the ad, and attach it to a, a form or a booking sheet to evidence that the ad had run right. and it had run where it said it's run. Obviously, everything's digital now. Yeah. So those things, those yeah. those uh, sections are kind of gone. But they were ways in for people into the industry. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. either through the mail room or the press checking yeah, department. Yeah, right. So it was really the bowels of the business and it wasn't particularly glorious work, but it gave me an in. And then there was a incredibly good job that was going inside the agency mm. to work for one of the guys who was the best in the industry and ended up becoming chairman of that agency which was the biggest agency in a, in australia at the time or second biggest um, very talented guy so i ended up getting a traineeship as a strategist and i had three very good um 
mentors who were older than me and a particularly good leader of that department who mm. then went to run the agency. So I just got great exposure mm. to the craft of advertising strategy mm. and brand strategy. Uh, and I was quite young at that stage. And then I got headhunted and foolishly took that and jumped ship. And that set me off in the wrong direction. Um, and I inevitably found myself um, through through luck and misfortune uh, in a in a role in a um, in a Asian based network, and then um, and through that experience, uh, I was uh, I started working on new business, and we won a lot of pitches, and mm. then started to become like the the agency, mm. and that catapulted me to having a profile of being a good strategist, but also good at reading business, which is essential in advertising. Yeah. Um, and so I then decided to set up my own business, um, which I did, uh, and ended up selling that business to an agency network. And that experience um, galvanised for me to set something up of my own, mm. um, which was the One Centre, and mm. that's back in um, you know around 2000, so 20 years ago. Mm. And in fact, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the agency well, now. Congratulations! Is, is that's wonderful. Yeah. So that's a sort of a bit of a long journey to quite a remarkable series of of jumps yeah, and steps, totally and unpredictable little visits, and which ra- and um, some random at the time, which seemed random. I'll come back I'll, to some of the lessons yeah. you've learned through that, but yeah, can, give us yeah. a bit of a rundown of what the One Centre does. What is the essence and the core of your what business? Do we do, and back to what is marketing innovation. So we we have built a reputation over the time by virtue of the types of projects that we work on in either helping organisations do transformation projects or Mm. launch new types of products, services or initiatives into the market, Um, call it disruptive businesses if you like. So we get involved with companies and helping identify new market opportunities, how they would access them, what kinds of product and services and then how they brand them and then take them to market. So we've done that with big organisations um, like um, you know Stores of the Future with McDonald's and projects with Amex on how to you know reinvent their airport direct sales to Woolworths. We created um, the Everyday Rewards platform for right. them some years ago. Um, through to completely new businesses like we're working obviously in uh, in different trend areas, which is where it tends to get investment. So plant based food is pretty big at the moment. Right. So we're creating the world's what's going to be. Of course, the world's um, um, a really powerhouse, quick-service restaurant in plant-based food. Yeah. It's got ag- aggressive um, goals. Um, and we're working on uh, uh, creating new sort of um, membership clubs for hyphenates, which will run across the world and um, products and services which um, don't technically exist now. We would be the parties that companies come to to help work out how to do those things yeah, right. and then launch them to the market and learn and grow them basically. So we're part sort of management consultancy, Mm. part brand consultancy, Mm. and then also part marketing, integrated marketing Mm. services business. So we can get in and help people work out what to do Mm. and what they are, how to actually package that up and present Mm. it to the market, and then how to actually launch it into the market. Mm. Um, And we've done that for, for both, as I said, like big companies, but also either smaller organisations or collectives of people that want to do new things mm. um, and we'll uh, go on the journey with them. Mm. And that's uh, it's, it's quite a unique place that we hold in the marketplace. Mm. Uh, so it's not um, 
not a traditional advertising agency. It's not a management consultancy. Become it's a specialty a, area for you guys. Mix yeah. up of in, yeah. So the marketing innovation or brand innovation and business innovation is really what we we get involved with. Um, so but yeah. Can I ask you, John? There it may be unfair, but yeah. I think there's a common suspicion about marketing that it's manipulative mm. and it's trying to skew things and mm. and cover. How how do you? What's your response to that? common perception that yeah. that it's about um, smoke and mirrors? Well, I, I, I don't think it's about smoke and mirrors. I do think it's about um, uh, persuasion and mm. making things as attractive as possible um, for, uh, for consumers. Um, uh, but um, I, I don't really hold a lot of um, reservation about the work I do. I think uh, there are everybody's bidding for attention everybody's trying to make products or services that are relevant um and and relevant and uh attractive and useful and i think more and more the kinds of work that we're doing is um, there's a bit of a movement that's sort of happened in the last three to four years around you know um, purpose and profit Mm. so helping organizations yeah find um, their why find their why Mm. and also make sure they're commercially uh, sustainable sustainable mm. uh, and it used to be you know in the old sort of 70s the the economic theory was um, you know organized businesses didn't exist to necessarily do anything else except make a profit yeah bottom line and you know anything with any social conscience or um, otherwise was sort of almost a communist type yeah um, activity and altruistic and not in line with what shareholders interests are uh, or customers' interests. So the reality, though, is that organisations today um, are under huge s- pressure and scrutiny to not only um, uh, perform in terms of a product or service, but also prefer- deliver and contribute to um, long-term social benefits. Ethical and, practice. And ethical practices, but also so positive social impact so yeah right this is not just something which is used to be called like you know you're in a social enterprise and obviously there are many of those this is coming from you know the highest levels of um, leadership here right. in business as well so larry fink who runs blackrock which mm-hmm. is the world's biggest investment yes. company 10 trillion dollars worth of funds under investment i mean they now have made it absolute in their uh, investment um, criteria that businesses demonstrate one of the top five things a positive long-term social Mm. impact and benefit Mm. so um and this is because of obviously millennials and gen z uh consumers are demanding it Mm. i think the the money people are demanding it and i think the world as we know it you know through the environmental crisis that we um that we find ourselves in some of the political and social huge problems that we're that we're in is that Mm. And obviously, COVID has um, accelerated a lot of that. Yeah, um, confused it in some ways, but accelerated it. Is that organisations now need to um, be focused on delivering mm. um, the returns, mm. but returns also to society and community. So when we get involved in jobs, um, it's a bit of a filter for us yeah. to say, look, the way we're going to approach this is not just the dark arts of marketing and branding to sort of have a an attractive message but to try and have a positioning in the market that we can demonstrate and that it not only is a um, 
benefit to a consumer of this product or service because it's um, helping solve problems that exist, either environmental problems, social problems, problems with the way products or services currently are. Yeah. But it's also delivering impacts which are positive for the earth, positive yeah, that's for good. society, positive in, in lots of ways. Now, that's a trend, of course. Yes. So it's also part of the artifice of marketing, but it's also something I'm deeply interested in yeah, because personally. I think it is the right way forward. Yeah, yeah, good. You, you've been describing some of the the uh, demands that the market is placing on on a or, or encouraging and supporting a, a shift in an ethical or a change of ethics. Mm. It, it raises the question for me. I want to ask you the question: Where do you find you're, you're right at the leading edge of taking things to market, mm. new products, new services? Mm. Where's the balance of responding to a market and creating a market? Where mm. where's that sense of are, are you simply responding to things that are needful or mm. are you part of perceiving mm. a new opportunity, new space and yep. creating that? Yeah, well, it's a very good question. You know, um, I think, you know, the old adage that Henry Ford had is said if he listened to the research, what people are saying, he'd be making a faster horse. <laughs> um, so we, the, the kinds of people that we're working with are trying to be, three steps ahead in the sense that they are connecting the dots on a number of things which may result in a completely different paradigm mm. of product or service. Mm. Now, inevitably, they are trying to present or find a space in a marketplace that is attractive, mm. but it's also solving problems mm. for the, the, the user or the consumer or the client um, as well as uh, industries, as mm. well as society. So I'll give you an example. Um, we're working with a very, very bright group of uh, Kiwis at the moment mm. who've developed some technology to, to change the way um, project homes are um, uh, designed and built. Mm. So typically project homes are uh, volume builders, they call them, but um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a product you have to go out to a, a um, uh, what do you call it? Like a village, mm. see show, show Showroom. village. Then you go through months of determining how you would like to customize because people want to customize stuff. You go in these circulatory processes to customize it. Then you have to get it recosted, etc. And then it gets built, and there's lots of inefficiencies in that mm. that system. So they've got a they've developed technology where they can actually help a builder put all this plan up into a, a 3D system where a consumer can play with it, play with the model and literally live customize and live mm. price what mm. they want and get all of the work done in an hour that would take six months. That's amazing. Yeah. And the back end of this system reduces a lot of the wastage in not just obviously the, the design and the specification of it, but it gives tools to the map product, the builder yeah. to better manage supply into the project so it can save 90 percent yeah the universities down in melbourne's just said the modeling on this is to save 90 percent that's of the incredible footprint of the wow. house of the actual construction process save 65 percent in the sales and design processes like massive changes that's incredible which are beneficial to builders because yeah. there's a lot of inefficiency for them it's beneficial to consumers because it takes a lot of the friction and the grief out of the process uh and it's great for well it's better beneficial for vis-a-vis -vis the current process for the planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And what it does, it opens up building a home to a lot more people yeah. than those who are kind of um, stuck with, you know, uh, it's, it's in the too hard basket. So beneficial for, for our client because they've got a software engine that can drive it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and it's, um, so it's quite revolutionary. Yeah. So in that regard, it's not just sort of improving a widget or mm. changing the mousetrap. Mm. It's coming up with a completely new way of doing things. Yeah. That requires quite a lot of behavioral change and cultural change in an industry. So part of the challenge then is to sell that, mm. to sell that product or service to people effectively so that they can see the benefits, not just yeah. see, the, yeah. see the benefits of it, but actually make the behavioral change. Um, so that's the kind of, to answer your question, are we responding to industry or are we trying to take people forward? It's pretty much a combination Both, of the two. Both, yeah. yeah. And so there's an example of the win-win-win scenario where win, win, win. everybody's improving their experience. Yeah. I mean, we've, we're working with this fantastic plant-based quick service or quick fast fast food, but it's fast casuals now the term, is to they're, they're passionate about plant-based food, yep. the benefits for your health, the benefits um, to the planet mm. um, because of the uh, inefficiencies of, um, you know, meat, uh, animal-based protein and the benefits of plant-based protein. But one of the big challenges with selling uh, plant-based food is the perception that you can't get the flavor hit. Mm. It's like, you know, how do I get that primal Yeah, the animal desire? fats. Exactly, mm. the animal mm. fats meet my hunger and satisfaction requirements. So they could have built, or we could have built a brand that talks to the vegan or um, compassionate market, but we wanted to build a brand that talks to that primal desire, which is the other 80% or 90% of society, which don't really think about food in that way, mm. plant-based food in that way. So, but the objective of that isn't, um, the objective of that is that they can have a far greater impact on the planet by targeting people who are non-vegetarians, yes. yes. just to encourage them to have one or two meals a week, which might be plant-based. So the way that they do that is not to walk around with, um, being uh, overly worthy about it, but just to really appeal to people's appetites. Yeah, the basic things. The yeah. basic things and to make the food unbelievably good to eat. Yeah, yeah. Because in the end of the day, um, you know, good marketing can make a bad product fail faster because it'll just, once people use it and it doesn't work or deliver, yeah. it gets rejected. And yeah. particularly in this world where and you lost social trust. media just goes like that um, and it travels uh, faster than the speed of sound. Um, you lose trust and you wreck yourself. So they've they've worked great product. For them, it's a big cause. And yeah. As I said before, strong purpose. Yeah. You know whether you believe in it or not is not necessarily the point. But they're compassionate and committed to it. That they want to create a way to have a massive impact as well yeah. as a profitable area. It's a huge trend area. Um, there's a lot of demand mm. now for plant-based foods in in our in our world, but also internationally. So potentially a massive marketplace. Mm. So, so good ticks, for business. Good for business. But good in so many other ways also. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that particular brand's called Flav. So it's Flav Your World and Flav the Planet. Mm, and nice. sort of, it's a really interesting uh, brand. So you see that's the kind of things yeah, that we're good. involved with. Um, how do you, you know, and it, yes, it requires, uh, we are in the business of uh, persuasion and attraction, but um, I don't feel, I. I mean, it depends on what we're working on. We don't want to be selling things which are inherently um, bad. Mm. But bad is an interesting word because what 
some people find bad, other people find um, acceptable. Yes. So we have to use our own moral conscience and also the power of the group and also the power of the people that are around us to yes. help talk to us and counsel us yes. on whether that's a good or a bad thing because we can come with our own biases and we may be overly you know, defensive when actually you can get in there and make a positive A different way to see it. Yeah. yeah. Or you can be operating out of greed or just um, or other things and not see the pitfalls in what you're doing. Yeah, I can so see that. It's important. I want to come back to this. Yeah. How, how do you determine your ethics yeah. and, and have your moral compass mm. set to true north? What is yeah. what is your true north? Yeah. But you've mentioned a few times about persuasion. The, yes. the, the essential thing that you're doing is having conversations with people that yeah. are persuading them to view something in a different way. Yeah. Hadn't seen before. Yeah. In that field, what what have you learned about the inherent things that that uh, control people's responses or that influence people's responses? The, yes. the, the heart of humanity. Yeah. Well, I think the emotional self will always override the logical mm. self, um, and uh, we as practitioners of um, brands and marketing, etc., have to strike a balance on the two. Mm. Um, but we know that by creating a compelling emotional environment or case and using some of the tools and triggers of the human being, um, that we can elicit mm. a stronger relationship or propensity to behave in a certain way. Um, one of the guys I went to school with actually before Skeg's Redlands, which was a little public school in Balgala, ended up being a brain scientist and studied this whole area mm. of how people make decisions and their impulses. And, and I had, I've had a number of really interesting conversations with him um, at, on things as kind of cosmetic, but seemingly cosmetic is why the color red is so powerful. You know, Coca-Cola's red, yeah. McDonald's use red. Yeah. You know, we've just used red for Flav because it, it's um, it's it's about um, energy. It's about, um, and I mean this in a positive way. Like it's it's color of blood. It's life. Yes, it's exciting. It's yes. fire. So it 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 activates receptors in our body and our mind, which are exciting. Mm. So Coca Cola's red. Um, so fire engines are red. You know, ambulance lights are red. So things is kind of obvious but when you dig into it there's a lot of primal yes, things which yes. are cued in there um so the persuasion part of it going back to your question is that the emotional self will always um find a way over the logical self mm. and so you can persuade yourself if your emotions are absolutely aroused you can and you can you can exactly i mean you know sadness anger happiness mm. joy mm. Um, excitement they, they're powerful things and, mm. they, and at the end of the day the hum, humanness uh, or how humanity um, uh, speaks to us like emotionally in terms of uh, making us feel about certain mm. causes or feel strongly about things so uh, what a lot of what we do are uh, in either visually or through other stimulus and and is to try and present something which hits the right chord for mm. people emotionally um but it's not just about that. Mm. Um, it's also about putting forward the case 
Mm. Um, I guess you've got to back it up with, with fact and experience yeah, and exactly. it's got to correspond to truth. It's got to correspond to truth. Mm. Um, and uh, otherwise you get other emotional impulses which will in fact mm. blind people on the on the other side, mm. which is just yeah, prejudice against yeah. and um, distrust, mm. which are very powerful things. Mm. And they, work, they can work in, in different ways. Mm. So... A lot of the time, I mean, in marketing, advertising, marketing, branding, you are looking for ways to make something relevant. Mm. Original is important because you're trying to be distinctive and unique. Um, uh, relevant, original and impactful mm. um, so that you can kind of be seen, be heard and connect and engage um, through communication and through product design, through the experience, through retail experience, digital experience, et cetera, and to bring people and to help people engage with you and create a culture and an mm. emotional space. Mm. Now, that can be not just on things which are consumer items. It's, it's true also finding the right tone and personality which may be emotionally yes. appropriate to any industry. Yeah. So I've done stuff where we're talking to doctors about products and services, we, we, as well as consumers about food or people about automotive or people about um, education mm. or, you know, you, you have to find through your research and insight work and understanding in human, both human behaviour and attitudes and emotions, what are the important drivers mm. in this particular field and area? Um, what are the barriers to and uh, points of concern to your product or service or whatever it is? And how do we find the right space, the yeah. right tonality yeah. for this? But it's all linking into emotional state. A lot of people think in business-to-business -business communication, which is like not us talking to a consumer, if mm. you like, but to um, you, for example, as a principal of a school, mm. that we suddenly have to change our narrative to be very logical. Mm. Um, well, yes, we do. But the way that we deliver that message mm. is going to be encased in an atmosphere in a, in a way which may also tick a lot of boxes for you which mm. says it feels credible authentic it's evidenced um you know it doesn't it's not something that i would be conscious or nervous about sharing in my capacity as as the principal mm. but in the same way the principal is the principal the principal is also a human being that has other yeah. parts to their life yeah. so there might be a father or a brother or a sister and to somebody and we sometimes forget yeah. that we might be targeting somebody in a professional capacity or a um, in a certain other capacity and um, under uh, underestimate mm. the other components of them which are I understand alive, what you're saying. Yeah, you know, that's and, right. Um, so it's like it do, I don't want to make it sound like it's this kind of really intellectual or emotionally spinny area, but these are all the things that we need to think about. Well, I, I think people engage in that sort of interaction without training, without intent, just as part of their relationships. And, and I think you're describing yeah. the, the reality of the humanness of, of dialogue. Yeah. And whatever form that happens across the kitchen table or yeah. through the airwaves, mm. it's about how are we communicating an idea exactly. or a response or an experience. Yeah. And, and I get that. Let me take you back to that question about the ethics. Mm. And, and you've been talking about the fact that you are governed by things that are bigger than just the immediate mm. and the pragmatic. Yeah. Where, how did you come to a, an experience of faith for yourself, Sean? It, 
Well, my my faith has um, its background is uh, it's interesting. I think when I was I think when I was actually at, when I had my second child, so I started this business in twenty two thousand around two thousand maybe just a wee bit before. Um, we grew. I grew the business quite rapidly, mm. and then I had my first child in two thousand and three, and my daughter Bella, and then I had my second child, which was Lewis, in two thousand and five, and he was a really bad sleeper. So Bella mm. was a fantastic baby. Mm. Wow, this is easy. Let's have mm. more. Um, so we did have another baby, and, and that's um, enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lewis was very different, yeah. and it came, also came at a time where I suddenly had this high growth business, and we had we not stalled, but I had an issue with a major client, and we ended up well getting out of that relationship. And I thought that was the right thing to do, but it created a huge financial problem for me, which I underestimated, and I ended up in a very difficult position. We had. The house, which was in a bit of a mess at home because, uh, you know, we had a child which didn't sleep and all these really human things came to bear. And I think my wife and I got to a point where we were struggling. But the the process of actually, the, the pathway is, not, is quite interesting in that my wife's Italian and she approached a Catholic church in our mm. area to have our child, um, uh, to have Christians. a christening. Um, but the the the, the priests uh, in that particular church wouldn't um, uh, have the christening there because uh, the godparents weren't Catholic. So being the feisty Italian that my wife was, she decided to, okay, well, we'll go and get him somewhere else. Somewhere else. So we went to an Anglican church in the area um, and the, the, the senior pastor there said, spoke to my wife, really top guy, Richard Harvey, down at St. Matt's at Manly. And he said to my wife, oh, yeah, we can christen, you know, Lewis, but um, but I'm just going to come and see you uh, for a couple of weeks and just to talk to you about what we're doing, what we're doing, which was good. So he came into our house, walked, you know, up the road, made the effort to come and see us um, and detected that everything might not be perfectly um, good. Harmonious. Yeah. <laughs> harmonious and um and i think uh was taking wanted to sort of obviously reach into that space that we were in as well as well as do the right thing in terms of preparing us for a christening mm. but um he started speaking to us about um i'd gone to obviously a christian school and gone through and mm. had been involved in a lot of religious ceremonies mm. my parents would have called themselves um you know believers but mm. we didn't have a real relationship with god and we hadn't really uh, surrendered ourselves and really uh, i think opened ourselves up to what mm. that was mm. it just was a different dimension but anyway richard put us onto a program uh, which we did at home and then mon and i which is my wife uh, both had gave our life to christ which was fantastic it's been incredibly important actually yeah. because we were on the same journey together Amen. at the same time and then um it wasn't there wasn't a miraculous change in our circumstances but there was definitely a movement in mm. our in our lives mm. that was going to um get strengthened over mm. like, uh, strengthened from there so you know we that circumstance um led us to uh, having um an encounter really and then began our faith journey mm. um and we moved from there um, along uh, 
along in business in 2007, 8, 9, and then we had a massive um, problem during the GFC when the business again took off and grew and we were doing a lot of work internationally and I um, uh, was just so happened to be doing a lot of work in the Middle East when the global financial crisis hit and we Ouch. had a, just so happened to have a very big client which was the world's biggest development company working on these incredibly exciting but just um, you know slightly mad projects um, that were happening at the time in Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai. Anyway, that causes a huge problem because mm. their business effectively collapsed and which and a lot of other clients of ours, which were quite substantial clients, had to put their jobs on hold and I ran out of cash in the business and I couldn't get couldn't get the money in from the Middle Eastern client and I had quite a big staff base and we ended up um, getting taken, being wiped out. I put the business into administration, had put everything we owned into that uh, to try and save it, save the company. Um, so suddenly I had three children at that stage, all under five. Um, I, the business got wiped out and we lost our home and everything that we owned in the process because we mortgaged it in order to try and raise capital. Um, so that was a very fiery wow. experience. Yeah, amazing. And, um, bought us, uh, you know, it was a big, it was a big torching for us. But I think it was probably in retrospect, the most important thing that happened to me in my faith life, because I, I, I became a Christian at, through in 2005, I think it was, which, yeah. And then in 2008, nine, we had this big issue, but I didn't, I didn't realize, I, I, I hadn't really fully surrendered and mm. understood how God builds um, things mm. for you and how, what a relationship is mm. really like. And I, well, I remember sitting down and thinking to myself at that stage, I have actually no resources here. We had mm. a, a number of things happen, like a friend gave us a house that they owned to, that had been renting and we moved in there. It was very kind of them and some incredible things happened and some incredible hardship and losses and friendships, that, which were understandable because they were working with us and stuff and people were going through their own problems with what had happened. And yeah. I was the leader of the business and ultimately responsible. Yeah. It's very hard to explain to people the domino effect. And in Australia, the, the impact of the GFC was quite short and sharp, um, whereas companies which were overseas or had been doing a lot more overseas were more susceptible to the global financial yes. crisis. So it was confusing. Like people couldn't quite understand with this, this great stellar business and it went down and it obviously had problems and whatever. So that was quite hard for me because I lost my profile. And yes, my, reputation. You know, reputation. Mm. And... Um, I had lost everything I owned. I had, uh, and um, I felt like I was radioactive in that it's not easy to get a job when you sure, had that happen. Sure, got uh, offered a couple of things overseas, but I just thought I can't leave here and put more disruption into my family. So what I ended up doing is staying. But the the experience of that and being brought back to absolutely uh, brought back to uh, you know almost like a naked human being. Mm. Um, literally feeling I had no resources other than I needed to go to God. Mm. And actually that's when I started to um, put in some really behaviours and seek God and pray and read the Bible in the morning and commit myself and commit the problem to him. And to, um, because I think, you know, I was privileged in the sense that my parent, my dad was actually a very good journalist. We lived in a nice home. I went to a good school, even though I had a bit of 
gaps and it was a bit rough leaving school and getting into uni because I missed out what I wanted to do but I'd sort of fallen on my feet and suddenly I was in this part of this business yeah. on the front page of marketing magazine and suddenly I was like, you know, succeeding quite well. Um, drove a Porsche 911, you know, had a very nice house. The dream. And then mm. the dream and then it just in a matter of months just everything got torched and I was kind of back to absolutely um, zero in a worldly sense yeah. but actually it was the most profoundly important thing that happened to me in my life because i began to seek god amen and see him move in yes. incredible ways which were immediate things as well as things which i couldn't have imagined three or four years later that would happen because of the process and where i ended up and rebuilding things but it was that um realization and that that's that was a surrender that was the mm, real the real time for me yeah yeah because i think we became christians we were in a difficult spot we did we were genuine in our but we didn't it wasn't a fundamental absolute reliance and i reached a point where i had to have a fundamental absolute yeah, reliance right at the core right at the core mm. but also and that happens to guys and i think it's one of the things that happens to everybody but i'd also suffered through my life a feeling of you know, dark depression and anxiety had had its um, had a presence in my life, and particularly when I um, a little bit in school, and then when I left school, you go through periods of, of gaps where you think, well, "What am I doing?" And it's such so a lot of pressure on young men and women at that age because you're trying to find a way. And your mm. dreams might not have come to pass in that regard, and you don't quite know what to do, and you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders about what, what where, how do I actually build my life? Yeah. Um, but it came to some heads along the way. So I'd experienced that. Um, when I, in 2005, and it gave our life to Christ, I did find I had an alleviation of those issues. Mm. But um, in the process, therefore, when I went into, we had this terrible event happen during the GFC, I didn't, I didn't have the, the blackness and the, the, the difficulty. I had the, vix, the big, big external cleansing of stuff yeah and then but i didn't actually have i had moments of despair but i didn't have that um absolute desperation absolute desperation because i knew that was the life yeah got. that's great and then but i also had to recognize that in that situation it he'd given me this life mm. um but now i had to really commit my future mm. to him um and that I needed to import into my lifestyle mm. um, behaviours which were mm. seeking him, praying, mm. building a genuine relationship, actually not being, thanks God for this, yeah. thanks for that, you know. Trite. I need this, that. Yeah, it wasn't trite. Mm. And not that it, it needs to be heavy. No. It's just like. But intentional. Raw and real. Mm. And I think getting to that point where you're having raw and real conversations. Yeah. Um, and putting it to him and also recognising there are things that you're doing in your life, even then, um, that were not necessarily behaviours yeah. that are in synchronicity with his commands yeah. and guides. Weren't helpful. And, and helpful. Mm. So you had to strip away some of that stuff as well, mm. come back to the essence mm. um, of the relationship, which it is a relationship mm. and seek God. And then... From there, I have literally experienced, and Mon, my wife, we're absolute witnesses to this, the, the blessings and grace and incredible connections that God makes. 
It doesn't mean that you don't face other trials and difficulties, which we have, and right now we are obviously in one because yeah, of yeah. COVID. And we also have some family health issues going on around us and they are um, they're difficult. Mm. But um, I think what, having gone through such a fiery process, we have learned is that, you know, you just have to keep walking mm. and bringing it to him. And there's also these, you, you know, there's, there's blessings and I wouldn't call it curses, but there's difficulty as well as good things happening at any one point in time. It's not all good and all bad. And, uh, and therefore, I think, you know, the, that uh, recognising that and having a life and a joy um, irrespective of the situation yeah. um, is a part of the blessing of God. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, that, that's a, a big thing. So that faith life, and I mean, it's so real in my work life. Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. It's very hard to talk about, but I, every day I would face things in the day or in the future where at a practical level, if I need to write a strategy or come up with an idea for things, I'll take it to God. Amen. That's yeah. great. And inevitably and always um, I'll have an insight moment, an idea, mm. um, or if I've got problems or if I need this or that. Look, and it's not always, it's not like a transaction. It's that's. It's not what the expectation is. It's more just sharing and asking yeah. and being um, um, open as well as surrendering to difficulties. And some things just uh, don't change the way you'd like them to. Others do. Mm. So I felt in a, in a role that I have, which is a leadership role as well as I'm tasked with coming up with ideas and solutions and for clients, um, that you know God is the ultimate creator. Amen. Um, and his brilliance and wisdom and um, yeah. uh, incredible ingenuity and, uh, and the insight that he gives you uh, is endless and bountiful, is just uh, generous and endless. Yeah. And, and he can drop things into your mind or into your absolutely, heart. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's no doubting in that in my mind. And That's fantastic. Because John. I've had that pathway. I've seen him work. I've seen the evidence of it irrefutable um and so that's exciting for yeah me. indeed and it does help you to gather um the courage to keep going because it's very difficult to um face the future yes and if you think about it in the rational all the things which could go wrong you're surrounded and swamped and i know I, I, that feeling of that i had when i was like 16 17 18 in my 20s and 30s they don't, they don't go away, but your um, are your toolkit and your resources, mm. if they're in your own steam, are going to mm. run out of steam. Mm. But your toolkit and your resources are mm. your faith and the provision of your God mm. and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And the big thing I think is, is uh, and if there's any one message for anybody that's listening to this, particularly a young guy or girl or even a parent is... Um, the the Holy Spirit and having the Spirit of God in you yes. is and asking and seeking this is a big um, healer mm. of emptiness and a sense of darkness and blackness. It's not to say you don't need the help of the medical community, uh, friends and counsellors and professionals, but 
access and seek Amen. Um, that, the Spirit of God. And also just assess yourself for the things that you're doing that are not in synchronicity with mm. God's mm. desire for your life. Mm. You know, behaviors, habits, addictions, um, even in, even in very uh, young groups of people, things where you start on things is not where you necessarily end up. So, yes. um, so part of part of the um, uh, part of the process of, I guess, of seeking, you can have like major changes, but of, often these things are gradual. Yeah, but you need to also make effort. On your in the physical and in the world that you're in, and on your own habits to help with those things, and that's not doesn't go away at my age. It's still something I have to. It's kind of discipline mm. as well as the infilling, mm. and I know when I'm I'm not doing the right thing because mm. it's just it's evident to me um, what happens in my spirit mm-hmm. being aware of that. So uh, I think it's important to build that personal direct relationship. Amen. Yes. And, you know, is that an effort? Is that works? Well, it is in a way. I mean, Lord said, seek him. Yes. So that, that you know, faith yes. is work. Yes, and, and it is part of our humanity. We were talking earlier about mm. recognizing the authenticness of our humanity and yeah. habits mm. and disciplining mind and thought patterns. Yes. Is part of the things that we need to bring before God. Yes. As well as our yeah. faith and belief. Yeah, the choice. I mean, Paul says that, you know, fill yourself with things which are noble. And Amen. Noble. Think on these things. Yeah, mm. because it's so easy to think on, on think on the other things. And that's where the process of, I think, going to God in the morning mm. is important because yep. I know this morning actually didn't. I feel I looked at the stock market, what's happening in New York because you know, obviously things are up and down. And all. It, it pollutes your head too fast. You mm. need to be prepped. You know, God gives you sleep. He also gives you an opportunity, I think, in the morning. And people pray at different times and all day, which is, which is obviously um, important. But I think in the morning time, committing yourself to reading the Word, praying. That's um, wonderful. Is one of the most valuable and rewarding and essential things you can do yeah. to prepare your mind and body and spirit for that day. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're immune from problems and issues and catastrophe but how you re- respond to those things as they happen will be quite different mm. yeah so that's fantastic john yeah no, no so appreciate you giving us your time sharing your story it's a remarkable story to right. hear, hear the ins and outs and the twists and turns of of how your life has unfolded mm. but more than that the things that you have learned or that god has allowed you to learn by reflecting on those things is yeah invaluable yes thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, your faith with us and may may you be assured that we'll be praying that god continues to hold you and lead you and bless you in all that you do thank you it's been a real pleasure thank Thank you. you fantastic